Good morning, my brothers and sisters. I greet you this beautiful Easter Sabbath and pray for an interest in your faith and prayers as I stand before you. Have you noticed that everywhere people are in a hurry? Modern jet planes speed their precious human cargo across broad continents and vast oceans. There are appointments to be kept. Tourist attractions beckon, and friends and family await the arrival of scheduled flights. Our modern freeways, with their multiple lanes, carry millions of automobiles filled with more millions of people in a seemingly endless stream. Does this pulsating ribbon of humanity ever come to a halt? Is the helter-skelter pace of life ever punctuated by all moments of meditation or thoughts of timeless truths? When compared to the eternal verities, the questions of daily living seem rather trivial. What are we having for dinner? Is there a good movie playing tonight? Has anyone seen the TV log? Where shall we go this Saturday? Such questions dim in their importance during times of crisis, when loved ones are wounded, when pain enters the house of sickness and of good health, and when life's candle flutters and darkness threatens. Here, truth and trivia are soon separated. The soul of man seems to look heavenward, yearning for a divine response to life's greatest questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we leave this life? Such questions and their answers will not be found between the pages or the covers of academia's textbooks nor will they be found by dialing information or flipping a coin or random selection of multiple-choice responses, because such questions and their answers transcend mortality. They embrace eternity. Where did we come from? This question has been thought, if not spoken, by every parent or grandparent upon hearing a little child's first uttered cry we marvel at the perfectly formed body, the tiny toes, the delicate fingers, the beautiful head, to say nothing of the hidden but equally marvelous circulatory and digestive and nervous systems, all of which point to the hand of a divine creator. When Paul, on Mars Hill, spoke to the Athenians, he said that we are the offspring of God. Well, since we know that our human bodies are the offspring of our mortal parents, we must probe the meaning of Paul's statement. The spirit and the body represent the soul of man. It is the spirit which is the offspring of God. The writer of Hebrews declared that God is the father of spirits, and we know that the spirits of all men are begotten sons and daughters unto God. How grateful we should be for the poets and the writers who have given us the thoughts of their minds on these all-reaching questions. I love the writings of William Wordsworth, who declared, Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere its setting. 
and cometh from afar, not in entire forgetfulness, nor in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory, do we come from God, who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. Another writer declared that a newborn child is a sweet new blossom of humanity, fresh fallen from God's own home to flower here upon earth. As parents, when we look at a sleeping child or take by the hand a little boy or a little girl, we ponder our responsibility to teach, to inspire, to direct. And while parents ponder, children and particularly youth ask that significant question, why are we here? Frequently, it's asked in the first person, often silently to the soul, why am I here? How grateful we should be that a wise Heavenly Father fashioned this beautiful earth and placed us here to dwell, with a veil of forgetfulness separating between us and our preexistent life. We've been given a time of testing, a chance to prove ourselves, to qualify for all that God has prepared for us to receive. Another prime reason for the creation of the earth was to provide us bodies of flesh and bones. In a thousand ways we make decisions. We learn from that hard taskmaster of experience to differentiate between good and evil, the bitter and the sweet. We discover that decisions do indeed determine destiny. It was the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians who said that man should work out his own salvation in fear and in trembling. Personally, I like the words of the Lord when he referred some thoughts to the Golden Rule and said, Whatsoever ye would that others do unto you, do ye even so unto them. When we follow this pattern carefully in our lives, we shall qualify for that house spoken of by the Lord when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. In contemplating such a thought, we realize that a newborn infant comes into mortality the most helpless of all of God's creations. Needed is nourishment for the body and love for the soul, and mother provides both. She who with her hand in the hand of God went down into the valley of the shadow of death that she might bring you and bring me to a newness of life shall not in her maternal mission be abandoned by God. Long years ago, I noticed an obituary in the daily newspaper of a beautiful mother and wife taken in the prime of life. I went to the mortuary the night before the funeral to pay condolence to the grieving father and the children who were bereft of their mother. I wasn't prepared for the scene that I beheld. There was a calmness there in the mortuary with this particular family. Little Kelly, the youngest of the lot, recognized me and ran over and took me by the hand and then escorted me to the open casket in which rested the body of her beautiful mother. And then mustering up her courage, she said, 
I'm not crying, Brother Monson, and neither must you. My mother taught me about death, and my mother taught me about life with Heavenly Father. I belong to my mother, and I belong to my father, and we're all going to be together again. Through tear-brimmed eyes, I beheld a faith-filled smile, and I thought, yes, little Kelly, with your faith you shall never experience a hopeless dawn. Indeed, with your faith and with your testimony, you can say along with others, right along with the writer of the book of Psalms, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Life moves on. Infancy is replaced by childhood, then youth comes, and mortality appears ever so imperceptibly. I believe with all of my heart in the beautiful inspiration that came from President Stephen L. Richards when he said, God is a father, man is a brother. Life is a mission and not a career. Our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, point you and me in the way to perfection. They want us to be perfect even as they are perfect. I'm grateful that the Lord had that encounter with the inquiring lawyer, where the lawyer asked him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What a pattern for living. When Paul was at Corinth, he likened life to a great race. He said, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now in our enthusiasm to run the race of life, I hope we won't overlook the sage advice from the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, who declared that the race goeth not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Actually, the prize belongs to him who endures to the end. When I think of the race of life, I think of another race from boyhood days. When I was about ten years old, my boyfriends and I would take pocket knives in hand and from the soft wood of a willow tree fashion toy boats. With a little triangular-shaped cotton sail in place, we would launch our boats in the relatively turbulent waters of the Provo River. They would move up and down, bobbing violently in the swift current, and then would sail serenely as the water deepened. We would run alongside, cheering on our particular boat. In one race, I noticed that one craft led all of the rest, and then its bow came just a little too close to the edge of a whirlpool, and the current caught the bow, flipped the little boat on its side, and it capsized. Around and around it went, attempting to make its way back into the main current but to no avail. At last it was shunted off to a deep and mossy pool where it was held prisoner by the flotsam and the jetsam which surrounded it. You see, my brothers and sisters, the toy boats of childhood 
had no keel for stability. They had no rudder to give them direction. They had no source of power. Invariably, their direction was one and the same, downstream. Unlike toy boats, our Heavenly Father did not launch us on our mortal voyage without giving us heavenly attributes. We have the capacity to think, to reason, to achieve. Our Heavenly Father sent us forth with the ability to communicate with Him and He with us so that we might find our way back to His eternal presence. I speak of prayer. I speak of the whisperings of the still, small voice. And I speak of the Holy Scriptures, written in part by mariners who sailed successfully the seas we, too, must cross. There comes to you and to me and all mankind at some time the faltering step, the wan smile, the pain of sickness, the passing of summer, the advent of autumn, the chill of winter, and the experience we call death. We think of the expression of that venerable man, Job, who declared, If a man die, shall he live again? Try as we will to put that thought from our minds, it keeps returning. For death comes to all mankind. It comes to the elderly as they walk on faltering feet. Its summons is heard by those who are yet midway in life's journey, and oftentimes it hushes the laughter of little children. But what comes after death? Is death the end? One time I sat by the bedside of a father, father of two, who was dying of cancer. He looked at me with yearning eyes and said, Tell me, tell me, what happens to my spirit when I leave this body? I yearned and looked heavenward for an answer from a divine source, and it came. And I reflected upon the 40th chapter of Alma. It seemed to fit the occasion. I perceive, my son, that thou art worried concerning the state of the soul between death and the resurrection. Behold, it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men, yea, the spirits of all men when they depart mortality, are taken home to that God who gave them life. And the spirits of the righteous are received into a state, a state of happiness, which is a state of rest and a state of peace where they may rest from all care and from all sorrow. My friend put his head back against the pillow and spoke a scarcely audible but ever so eloquent thank you. After the body of Jesus had lain in the tomb for three days, the Spirit again entered the body, and the risen Redeemer walked forth, clothed in an immortal body of flesh and bones, the answer to Job's question, If a man die, shall he live again? That answer came when Mary and the other Mary went to the tomb to care for the body of the Lord, and they discovered that the large stone had been rolled away, and they were met by two men in shining garments, who said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
I love those words, He is risen. I love the testimonies of the risen Lord. I glory in the testimony of Paul to the Corinthians when he did say, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. Then he arose on the third day, and he was seen by Cephas or Peter. Then he was seen by the twelve. Then he was seen by five hundred brethren at one time. And then he was seen by James, and then by the apostles. And Paul adds, last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. I love the testimony of the risen Lord when he appeared to over 2,500 witnesses on this continent and declared unto them, Arise and come forth, and thrust your hands in my side, and feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that she may know that I am the God of all Israel, I am the God of the entire earth, who was slain for the sins of the world. And when the multitude did go forth and witness for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God, and did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship Him. In our dispensation, the wonderful prophet Joseph Smith declared, After all the many testimonies which have been given of Him, this is the testimony, last of all, that we give of Him, that He lives. For we saw Him even on the right hand of God and heard the voice bearing record that He is the only begotten of the Father, and that by Him and of Him and through Him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof begotten sons and daughters unto God. As Christ was resurrected, so shall all mankind be resurrected. This is the redemption of the soul. The Apostle Paul declared that there are celestial bodies and there are bodies terrestrial. The glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. And as the stars differ in glory one with another, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. My dear brothers and sisters, it is the celestial glory which we seek it is in the presence of God that we desire to dwell. It is as a part of a forever family that occupies our thoughts and our desires. But such blessings must be earned. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we leave this existence? No longer need we probe or grope for such answers to these questions, for God has provided them. His Son loves to bless the faithful. He is also concerned for the lost child, the wayward youth, the tardy teenager, the delinquent parent. To one and all, He says, Come back, come up, come in, come unto Me. How supreme the joy of all who answer affirmatively His gentle and divine invitation to exaltation. I testify of the Lord. He is a teacher, but He is more than a teacher. He is the great exemplar of the perfect life, but He is more than an exemplar. He is the great physician, but He is more than a physician. 
He is the Son of Almighty God. He is the Prince of Peace, the Holy One of Israel. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord and Savior. And he it is who said, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified should come into the world. I am the light and life of the world. I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. To his witness, I add my own testimony and witness this Easter morn that he lives, for I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.